glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16 and 17, let's back up actually and read verse 15. It says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, if you went over to Genesis 25, we're going to go to the account of what Hebrews is talking about. We'll be coming back to Hebrews 12 again, uh, so you might want to keep a marker or something there. But Genesis chapter 25, verse 24, let's begin reading. And when her days, it's talking about Rebecca, when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. Edom, by the way, means red. Uh, Verse 31, And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat. And drink, and rose up, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if you're like me, the idea of this birthright, if this is, this is important enough that the Holy Spirit of God records it here, then it's recorded again in Hebrews that what Esau did was a very wicked thing in despising his birthright. You read this, and you, you try to define then, well, what exactly was the birthright? Uh, just exactly what is that or was that because for today's message what brings us here in this series of messages is the birthright the birthright is a picture of salvation a privilege you are given because of a position that you were born into a privilege that's a simple way of putting a privilege that you were given because of a position you were born into so as a firstborn son and especially this is getting established in the family of abraham There were certain promises, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God initially made these promises to Abraham, and uh, they were not all fulfilled in Abraham's life. Genesis 25, Abraham dies at 175 years of age, and those same promises then were transferred to Isaac. Now, the birthright in Abraham's family was a little simpler to figure out than it would be in Isaac's family. Abraham did have other sons, but he only had one by Sarah. He just had Isaac. He had children from the concubine Keturah that he married after Sarah's death. He had Ishmael from Hagar, but only Isaac was his God-given son as far as natural birth by the promise of God. And so you find in Genesis chapter 25 
that um, Abraham would pass on the birthright, those those same promises he received to God were transferred to Isaac once Isaac was born. Not only was there a transference of the promises of God to make of them a great nation, uh, that in them all the families of the earth would be blessed, that who blessed them would, would be blessed, and whosoever cursed them would be cursed, but there was also the transference of all the goods of the earthly father. So once the earthly father died, uh, there, was a, there was a double portion, if you would, for the, for the firstborn son. And we find in Genesis 25, let me just try to explain the birthright as it is seen in the life of Isaac. The Bible says in verse 1 of Genesis 25, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah, and she bare him Zimram and Jokshan and Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua. And Jokshan begat Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Letushim and Laomim. And the sons of Midian, Ephah and Epher and Hanach and Abida and Eldea. All these were the children of Keturah. Don't ask me to read those again, please. Verse 5. And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. Picture of Jesus Christ. He gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived in threescore and fifteen years. Verse 11 says, And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well Lehiroi. So the blessing of God, God had promised Eve that the seed of the woman, of the, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, and that God would, they, they understand this point, that God's going to raise up a savior through, for the world through Abraham's families. How would they understand that? Because he said, In thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's a promise of the Messiah. So when Esau despises his birthright, this is what we're talking about he despised. The, the, the passing on of the promises of God to make him a blessing, to make his family a blessing, that all that bless him would bless him, be blessed, and all who cursed him would be cursed, and that in him and his descendants would all the families of the earth be blessed, and the passing on of a portion of the father's inheritance, in Isaac's case, all of that, meaning you become the next patriarch in this family through which God is going to channel his blessings, not only to you, but to, to planet earth. So in the birthright, the potential in a birthright was the inheritance you would receive through the promises of God, but the influence that God would give you in this world until that inheritance received and thereafter. Much of the blessing or the, the wealth or the value of a birthright would be recognized after your death. Much of the blessing and the, and the inher- of this inheritance that you receive. And how do you get a birthright? It's called a what right? A birthright. By being the firstborn. Now you'll find a principle in the Bible that the firstborns have a unique way of forfeiting their birthright. And it's a picture that the natural man cannot inherit eternal things. The natural man does not comprehend or even desire the things of God. That's what the Bible means when it says, No man seeketh after God. We do not naturally have interest in eternal things. You know what you're naturally interested in this morning, what I'm naturally interested in? What I can see, hear, feel, smell, taste, touch. My, the things that my senses can experience are what I am naturally interested in. This is why the gospel is so disinteresting to so many people, unless you try to make it interesting with something carnal or physical. But the Bible warns us not to be like Esau. So if the Bible warns us not to be like Esau, we'd do well to perk up and pay attention and say just exactly what he did. Let me ask you, how bad is it to eat a bowl of soup? 
Well, it's not bad. I'm going to try to illustrate this morning because our first point this morning is the potential that Esau had. Esau was born into a position of privilege and in a moment of time he sold something of eternal value for a bowl of soup. I'm going to use these two pieces of paper this morning. Let's say they represent a deed to a house uh, and, and all of, 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 of a person's earthly assets and a deed to a car. Uh, and, and so these things are not activated, though, until the holder of them dies. Okay, So let's say I do that. And then let's say here this morning I have this delicious piece of valuable goods. All right? And let's say I said, now here's what we're going to do, Shaylin. These are yours because you're my daughter. They're a deed to a house and a deed to a car. And Adeline thinks, man, I'd like to have a house and a car. And so I give this to Adeline. Here you go. Adeline's got the star crunch, okay? Now, right now, you're going to have to give that back to me. All right, that's my star crunch. This is just for illustration purposes. And Shaylin's like, I'm hungry. And Adeline says, fine, I'll give you the star crunch if you give me those two pieces of worthless paper. Trade? Good. You know, do you want to trade? Yeah, she wants the star crunch really bad, right? <laughs> Now, how many of you think that would be a bad trade? Star Crunch, and let's say the car is brand new, garage kept, and we're not going to drive it until I'm dead and gone. She inherits it. And let's say it's not only a car and a house. This is, this is a, the full inheritance. And you get my inheritance. You ain't getting much. But let's say I was wealthy, and she traded a Star Crunch for an inheritance. How many of you think that's nuts? Of course it is, right? Um, in fact, I tell you what, I have another Star Crunch, and I'll give you one for you two being a good sport and help me out, okay? All right. So we would say that's, that's crazy. What a trade. But let me say this. There are a lot of people that are making the same kind of trade with their soul today. God says that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us eternal life. He gives us an inheritance incorruptible reserved in the heavens. And people say, so if I take God up on this offer, does that mean I get nicer cars? No, it means you get persecution. <laughs> oh, uh, so if I take God up on this offer, it means I'm going to get a better job? No, it means on your job you're going to get a hard time. Then why am I interested? You know what? I tell you what. I want a house, a nice house, nice car, nice life here. And I'm willing to trade in what God is offering to me, an inheritance incorruptible, reserved in the heavens, something that's eternal, not only the inheritance, but with that inheritance and influence on earth, I'm willing to trade that in to have something that I know is going to rust, rot, or be stolen in my lifetime, or I'll lose, and I know it. Now, I don't think people realize how foolish it is to ignore the gospel for earthly things, to ignore eternal things for earthly things, but Esau serves as an example. It's one of those extreme examples that he literally gave up his inheritance in 30 seconds for a bowl of soup. For a morsel of bread, he gave up being the inheritance, the inheritor of the goods of his father. He gave up the opportunity to be used of God and blessed of God to bless all nations. He gave up something literally of eternal value for something that satisfied his stomach for two minutes. I know of men today that won't hear the gospel because they're fornicators. They are pursuing their lust and they want nothing to do with a God who would change their life and restrict that way of life. I know of men today, I've had men tell me, I like drinking beer too much to think about getting saved. You're telling me they're willing to miss out on heaven for a 12-ounce bottle of garbage? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
There are people who love money and they know that if they get saved, God's going to cure them of their covetousness. And they are willing. They are willing to ignore and forfeit the gospel. They have a potential of an incorruptible inheritance with God. But here's the problem. If I said when they made this trade, Esau and Jacob, Esau got a bowl of soup. What tangible physical evidence did Jacob get? None. There was none. With the birthright, to my knowledge, I never see it in Scripture, it's never insinuated that there was a piece of paper that you could look at and say, this is my birthright. All you had was the promises of God. That's all you had. Meaning the birthright was invisible, number one. It was real, but it was invisible. It was of a spiritual nature. That's when we say invisible. It was of a spiritual nature. It was a tremendous honor and privilege to be bestowed on you that would give you a tremendous future, a tremendous inheritance. But for the possessor, the one who had the birthright, they didn't get up in the morning and look and say, Wow, my beautiful birthright. All they had was the promise of God and the promise of their earthly father that one day in the future, we cannot tell you when, but one day all of this will be yours. And you understand why Esau said, you know what? A bowl of soup in the hand is better than a birthright that I can't see. Now to be carnally minded as a child of God is to think this way, but this is the way unbelieving people think. There's no value on the invisible, spiritual, eternal things. We'll go to 1 Corinthians 4, if the Lord permits, at some point in time where the Bible says it's the invisible things that are the eternal things. This morning, we value by nature cars and houses and lands and nice clothes and dollars in a bank that we can measure with numbers on a piece of paper. We value that because there are things we can see, feel, and touch now. How often is there a trade like Esau where it's not only do we not value the eternal like we should, we actually trade that which is eternal for that which is temporal. And God says in strongest language, that is wicked. And so then, that is something that's, that's vile. We, we see Esau's potential. Let's go back to Genesis 25 and read through this again. His potential in his birthright is what it's speaking of, and that is of an inheritance uh, that, would, that is of spiritual eternal value and an influence on earth that's of spiritual eternal value. And yet, the reason that Esau saw no value in it is it had no, no present tense value. We'll see that uh, in just a moment. It had no, no, there was no gratification in the moment, physically speaking, for having this birthright. If I ask you today, those of you who say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, what is the greatest thing about having salvation? Many times we fall into this trap, even as believers in the Lord, we start speaking in physical, earthly, tangible forms. People say, well, even if it weren't true, I've heard more than one person say this, even if the gospel weren't true, the Christian life is the best to live. That may be true if you're in America, but that's not true in most places in the world. Most places in the world have more, and I'm not saying most places, there are places in the world today who have a better understanding of Christianity because they don't have all the trappings materially that we do. We're the ones who get confused. 
that being saved and having an eternal inheritance is not about having a better life here. It's not about being better than the Joneses next door. It's not about getting the life you've always dreamed of. We've, we've somehow morphed Disney into Christianity and they are opposing ideologies. Jesus did not save you and me to give us a Disney life so we could live out our dream on earth. He saved me to change my eternity and by a default that changes my life here. And if I identify with Him, it will cost me here, but friend, how well it's going to be worth it. With God's help, may God help us and use the preaching today in the last couple of weeks to turn our focus, starting right here in the one speaking to you, toward the eternal. We are to be looking at things not seen, but the things which are not seen, not the things we can see, but the things which cannot. So this morning, Esau's potential, he had a birthright. It was his possession. He was born into a privilege that was his by his position. And yet, the Bible tells us of his passion. That's point number two. Verse 29 of Genesis 25 says, And Jacob sawed pottage. And so he took... Uh, sod means to, to put it in moisture and, and soften it down. He made soup is what he did. He made pottage. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. Physically, he's weak. He's hungry. He's tired. This is somewhere Esau and I have something in common. Esau had gone hunting and he came back and didn't have anything to eat. You'll get that in a minute. He, he came back and he was faint because he had not succeeded in what he was doing and the Bible says one commentator suggests perhaps God, because Esau very clearly was a good hunter. Uh, later when Isaac tells him to go get some game, he does so quickly. But in this event, he was not able to succeed and it came back and revealed Esau's true heart. So he saw his pottage and so when Esau comes back, the Bible says, and Esau said to Jacob, verse 30, feed me, I pray thee, feed me. By the way, that's what the flesh always says. Feed me, feed me, give me more. The Bible says, Paul says he had no confidence in the flesh. He said in Romans chapter 7, verse 17, Therefore, there, uh, I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And so Esau, a picture of the flesh here, says, Feed me, uh, in verse 30, with that same, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And then, of course, you read that Jacob says, Sell me thy birthright, this, this day thy birthright. We'll deal with this point in a minute. What I want you to see is that Esau was driven by his passion. He comes in and he's faint. He is very familiar with his physical condition, very familiar with his physical state, as we all are, but that's where his focus was on. Because he's faint, he's hungry. You know what he's focused on? Feeding his appetite. Feeding his appetite. Proverbs chapter 23 tells us, uh, put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. We are a culture driven by appetite. Well, I want that because that's what I think will satisfy me. Then I want that because I think that's what satisfies me. The Bible says there are three things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And these things are not of the Father, but of this world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. And so we are told, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world and so then Esau is a picture of a lustful man. He comes in and he's hungry. His appetite is stirred. He's faint and all he can say is, feed me. My belly says I need some food. You've got something I want. Give it to me. I, I have need of that. And Jacob seized an opportunity. We cannot defend Jacob's method. 
but you can defend what he wanted. <laughs> he realized what Esau didn't care about was worth something. I remember years ago, we had a girl in our youth group, and she had a, and this may mean, some of you won't mean anything, but she had a Michael Jordan rookie card. Now, whether you like basketball or not, you might recognize his name. He was a, a star in the, for the Chicago Bulls for so many years, and to have his rookie card was something, but she did not realize the value of what she had. This is back in the late 90s, I'm guessing. Uh, no, it was, it was earlier than that. It, was, it would have been earlier than that, but in the early 90s. So uh, she had his rookie card, and a cousin of hers talked her into, he had a card she really liked of some player that nobody ever heard of, I suppose, but she liked him. And the cousin knew that the card she held was worth $1,200. And he talked her into trading. And she did. And you know why? She had no concept of the value of what she had. Here it is with Esau. He's got something. And what means something to him is, I need my next meal. I need my next meal. And so he's driven by his passion. Uh, he comes in from the field. He's hungry. And all he can think is, this is what I want. Young people often are driven by their passions. They cannot wait for God's way. They pursue what their flesh yearns for. And it doesn't end with youth many times. Driven by passion, not driven by true value, but driven by the, the appetite of the body. That's what drove Esau. His drive was his physical appetite and senses. He must have come out of the field and go, oh, that's just exactly what I have to have. You ever think about this? Don't you think Esau knew how to make pottage? It's not but just a couple of chapters later he knew how to fix a delicious meal for his dad. He couldn't even wait 20 minutes to fix his own meal. If this doesn't preach to our culture, I don't know if anything does. I've got something I want and I want it now. You know why the American debt is so high? Because we're run by Esau's. I don't mean just in the White House. I mean the pews of churches too. You know what debt is all about? I know what I want and I want it now. Now. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I'm willing to trade my integrity to get what I want. I'm willing to trade my, my uprightness to get what I want. I'm willing to trade my honesty to get what I want. I'm willing as a Christian to trade my influence in this world to get a car that I want or a house that I want or whatever it is I want. Nothing wrong with cars. Nothing wrong with houses. But there is something wrong with lust. And covetousness. And here's a man driven by his appetite. He smells that soup. He feels his hunger. And he says, that speaks to what I want. And I'm going to have it now. I cannot wait. I must satisfy my longings immediately. The drive was his physical appetite and his senses. The demand, immediate gratification. You know why fornication runs rampant in our country? Because nobody is willing to wait till marriage. No. If you have an urge to, to satisfy that fleshly appetite, go steal some other woman's husband. Go steal some other man's wife and commit adultery. Or act like you're married when you're not. Can I remind us this morning that fornication is still a sin? Meaning, uh, you know exactly what it is. Before marriage, to come together physically, it doesn't, I don't care if it's popular. I don't care if it's accepted. I don't care if people say, we want to see if marriage works before we're actually married. The Bible says that fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Do you realize how high that rate is in our public schools, high schools today? 
Last time I read up on this, I think it's like 65% of high school seniors have already been active before they leave high school. Do you know why? I have a passion and I must satisfy it now. I'm hungry and there's a bowl of soup and I'm going to eat now. Give it me, feed me, feed me, feed me. The appetite of this man is what drove him. Not an appetite for spiritual things. Not an appetite for God. Not an appetite for eternity. Not an appetite for that which was holy. An appetite for a bowl of soup. Yeah, that's what drove him. His drive, his demand, immediate gratification. And this is why in Hebrews 13, uh, chapter 12 he's referred to as a fornicator. This is the mark of a fornicator. Someone who has a passion and must have it satisfied now, whether it's inside the boundaries of God's will or not, I care not. All I care about is I know what I want and I know how to get it and I want it now. You with me? Is this not what drives American culture? I mean, pay attention to advertising. And I'm not here to rail on America. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help us discern and define flesh today. If you're saved today, you still have to deal with an Esau. But we need to be more like Jacob, not his methods But his motive, Jacob said, you may despise that which is holy. You may despise the gift of God. You may despise the promises of God. But I realize what value is in them. And if you don't want them, I'd love to have them. And so Jacob, again, we're not commending how he did this. He was wrong. He was deceitful. And God would break him of that in his days. But we find Esau's potential. He had the birthright. It was all his. His passion, though, his drive was... I want to satisfy my appetites right now, and you have what I believe will do that. So he demands, i got to eat now. How many of you think that Esau literally was about to fall over dead? But that's what he said. But I'll get it, I'll die. It's ironic. That is what the son of David, who committed a great sin with David's daughter, said. If I don't have Tamar, I'll die. You know, the person that's driven by flesh, the flesh says, give me what I want or I'll just die. Now we're going to get into the third point, and that's Esau's profanity. Profanity, again, we think of that, we think of foul language on the television, and it does come from profane people, people who care not for God or the things of God or the law of God or the righteousness of God. So that certainly is applicable, but here the word profane means irreverent to anything sacred. Irreverent to anything sacred. There are those today who've traded their Bible for some kind of textbook that tells them what they want to hear. They've traded preaching for entertainment. They've traded prayer because they don't know God. They don't know God. They don't value the things of God. Look, you and I can try to go get a lost man to value his Bible. He's got to be born again. Our first nature does not value eternal things. The flesh doesn't care. It just wants its own way. It wants gratification Now, and so we see his profanity, first of all, in his request, which we have aptly explained. He said, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was the name called Edom. He was ready to shortcut a process. Again, he could have gone and made his own pottage. No doubt about that. He could have gone and uh, pottage, as far as I understand, doesn't involve meat. So even if you failed in hunting, you still go make your own pottage. But what he said is, I'm hungry now. You've got food now. I want it now. So his request reveals his profanity. And then that the requirement that's placed on him. Jacob says, fine, I'll be glad to give you this pottage, but you've got to give me your birthright. Esau, you know that when dad dies, you're stepping into his shoes as, as the next 
uh, as the next patriarch. You know that. You know that there's a double portion for you. You know that the promises God made to Grandpa Abraham will be passed on to you and your kids. But if you're willing to give that up, I'll give you the soup. And Esau doesn't even hesitate. Fine, have it. What's his reasoning? So we see his request. We see his requirement. You're going to have to give up your birthright for me to give you the soup. Listen to his reasoning. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He says, You know what? I'll never even get to experience the birthright because I'm going to die of hunger. As I said earlier, really? How many of you have ever reasoned like this? Well, I've got to do this now. I mean, I have to because if I don't act on it now, I mean, you know, I'll just shrivel up and die. No. There are people that desire, let me just use this as an example because the Bible uses this as an example. They desire to be married. They desire to have a family. They desire whatever may be the case. And maybe it's a young man. Maybe it's a young lady. And they're waiting on God for God to put together a marriage that is according to His will and His plan. And along the line, they get impatient. And they think, here they are, you know, 23 years old, getting old, old maid, old, old guy. Yeah. And I use this illustration because I've, it's happened so many times. If I don't do something, if I don't get married soon, I'll never get married. I'll never have a family. I'll die an old maid. Boy, the old devil sends somebody around to satisfy that appetite now. Somebody who's ready to sweep her off her feet now. Somebody that's ready to promise her the moon now. Somebody that's ready to tell her whatever she wants to hear now because he wants to get what he wants. And she says, I'm not willing to wait on God. Yeah, I'm going to have to settle for this. And she trades eternal things for a bowl of soup. You with me this morning? Here's what happened. Esau was a profane person. He cared not for that which was eternal He cared not for that which was holy, and we know that because he believed a bowl of soup was worth more than a birthright. There are those who, when given the opportunity to hear the gospel, will say something like this. Well, I'm listening to a football game right now. Let's just get this straight. You think seeing who wins the next Super Bowl, or even this regular season game, is more important than where you spend eternity. Yeah, because I don't care about eternity. I don't care about God. I care about entertainment. I care about having fun. What I want right now is entertainment. I don't want to hear about heaven. I don't want to hear about hell. I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear about those things. And so we can see the value we put on eternal things by what we are willing to trade for eternal things. To Esau, the birthright wasn't worth more than a bowl of soup. That was his reasoning. But then what we find is later he regrets this. So what he does is in a moment of passion, which is the way he lived his life apparently, Because later he would take a couple of wives and when they didn't make mom and dad happy, he took some more wives to try to smooth things over. He's constantly living in in, uh, these hasty decisions based on his passions. And what happens is he would live to regret that. Look at Genesis chapter 27. Now to get the blessing at the end of dad's life, you have to have the birthright. There was a blessing attached to the birthright, meaning the earthly father would verbally pass on a blessing from God to the one who held the birthright. And you know as well as I how Jacob got in on that. He and his mother schemed to go... Because apparently Isaac didn't know that Esau had sold his birthright. 
But Rebekah, knowing that the one who has the birthright is supposed to get the blessing, and she connives with Jacob, and they scheme to get the, the, the birthright. But what happens is Jacob does get the birthright and the blessing. You know why? Because he wanted it. It was valuable to him. Verse 30, And it came to pass as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting, and he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father, and said unto his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. So here, you know what Esau's asking for? The benefit of having the birthright. He is pretending that he is still the holder of the birthright. But remember, he sold it. He promised. He swore to, to his brother Jacob, I don't want it. You can have it. So he's trying to make a claim on something he no longer possesses. It would be like going down to the bank, cashing all your money out, and buying a bowl of soup with it, and then going back to the bank and saying, I want all my money. You say, you don't have it. You, you cashed it out. You, we don't... That's what he's doing. He's wanting the benefit, but he wants it without the requirement. And so he says, uh, verse 32, And Isaac his father said, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he should be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding Bitter, that's what verse 15 of Hebrews 12 warns us of, bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. Meaning, violate the principles and give me a blessing anyway. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. He said, Is is not he rightly named Jacob, for he hath supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord. That's the birthright. And all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said to his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Bear this text in mind as we go over to Hebrews 12 again. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, meaning you fail to access what was provided for you. You, you negate your opportunity. Hebrews 2 will say it this way in verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If you neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you neglect the offer of eternal life, the inheritance what the Bible calls the adoption of sons in Romans chapter 8 and in Galatians uh, chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 4. It's called the adoption of sons. You say, I'm not interested in that. That's not now. I can't see heaven. I can't see eternity. I can't see uh, the blessings of God that are promised in Christ. That's all invisible to me. I want now. I want gratification now. Well, the Bible says, if this happens, it says, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person uh, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now here's verse 17, what I want us to see. For you know how that afterward, so after he sold the birthright, when he would have inherited the blessing, inheritance was part of the birthright, he was what? Rejected. Rejected by who? Isaac. 
For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, someone like take the verse and say, see, Esau wanted to repent, but he couldn't. No, 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 no. Who was Esau trying to get to repent? His dad. He sought repentance from his dad. Dad, you've blessed Jacob. Can you not change things? Can you not make an exception now? You've given him the blessing. Is there not a blessing for me? And the Bible says he wept. He sought repentance from his dad with tears. Please, dad, please change the rule of the birthright for me. Make me the exception. Did Isaac grant it? Now, if you think a mere earthly father, and by the way, this is his favorite son. And you know what Isaac refused to do? I'm not willing to violate principle in order to give you what you want. How many of you know how hell is described? A place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says of the kingdom of God when once the door is shut and there are those without knocking, wanting in, and from within they hear, depart from me. I never knew you. They said, but Lord, we, we were in your streets and you in ours and we know you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. Why? Because when they were offered eternal life, it wasn't valuable to them. They said, no, what's more valuable to me is what's here and now, earthly things, earthly things. You know, Moses is the opposite. The Bible says when he was offered in Egypt a position of great honor, rather than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, he was willing rather to suffer the reproach of Christ, and he counted the riches of Egypt as nothing. You realize Moses was a prince in Egypt. You know that. And he forsook that to be a shepherd of God's people. Suffering the reproach of Christ was greater riches to Moses than the pleasures of sin for a season. May I say this? There are going to be people in hell. They will have traded an eternity in heaven for a one-night stand. I hate to use that kind of language, but there are people that way because they wanted momentary gratification. There are going to be people in hell who traded all of eternity with God for a promotion in the workplace or for another bottle of booze. Seriously? Yes. Because their personal gratification in the moment of time was more important than the blessing and the promises of the gift of God. Now, there's application to the Christian. The mindset that Esau has is the mindset of every unbeliever until God saves us. We must be born again. We must receive a new nature. The first man in us is corrupt, nothing good. Therefore, we must receive life from Christ. And with that life comes new desires, new appetites. Amen? But today, you and I also have a choice. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I don't know about you. I don't want any Esau leading my life. Do you want to one day... How many of you know this? It may not be eternal life but it may be eternal treasure. How many of you know that Lot traded family members in heaven with him for a position in the gate? Oh, Lot's in heaven, according to Second Peter. He was a righteous and a just man. Lot's wife is not in heaven. Lot's children are not in heaven. Lot's grandbabies are not in heaven. They're not with him today. And you know why? Because he wanted a house on the gate in Sodom. It's not only trading... Life, it is also trading an abundant life. We say, you know what? I know what the will of God is, but this is more important to me. That's why our Lord had to say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God 
and His righteousness. So there's a specific application to the unbeliever who rejects the gospel that they might enjoy their sin. But there's another secondary application to the child of God who must deal with the flesh, the Esau that is there, and he must be put off. We must say, this is why Hebrews warns us, don't be like Esau and despise the eternal and sell it for something that's fleeting, momentary and gone. Well, Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth doth corrupt or rust break through or thieves break through and steal. The idea would be, you know temporal things pass away, but eternal things do not. With that in mind, let's go to a couple more places. Look, if you would, at Second Thessalonians chapter 2 as it relates to salvation. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 says, speaking of those who will be, who have rejected the gospel and after the return of Christ, when the Antichrist sets up his short-lived kingdom here, it talks about the wicked being revealed in verse 8. Then it says of him in verse 9, even him who's coming, we're in Second Thessalonians 2, even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Meaning, they said, because I enjoy my unrighteousness, I don't want to hear the truth. Isn't that what Esau did? I value a momentary gratification over eternal blessing and therefore... It brought about his ruin. He wanted the outcome of faith, but he did not want faith. He didn't want to live by faith. And so then we see that. Now, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I did not write this down, so be patient with me as I find my way. And I may be, I may be in the wrong place. I want to go to 2 Corinthians 4. Forgive me there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says in... Let's go back verse 14. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Talking about our eternal inheritance. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is opposite of Esau thinking. While we look not at the things which are seen, get your eyes off of the soup, (laughs) but at the things which are not seen, that's the birthright. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now maybe you should fill in your mind today, what's your bowl of pottage? What is it I'm willing to trade eternal blessings for? Whether you're an unsaved person who is debating whether or not the offer of eternal life is something you should consider You're debating whether or not you should receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, because God's been dealing with you, knowing and revealing to you that you're an unsaved person. You say, but if I receive it, it's going to change me. I know of men who love to run around and run to the bars, and they say, I know, though, if I get saved, it's going to change me. My grandpa battled with whether or not to be saved for years over this very thing. He was a gambler and a drinker, and he knew that when God saved somebody, he changed them. And he said, I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to put on games. I'm not going to pretend that I'm something I'm not. I'm not going to pray a little prayer that I don't mean. I know that if he saves me, he's going to take me out of that old life. And finally, he realized eternity is more important than pleasure today. 
And he repented toward God and put his faith in Jesus Christ and God saved him. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. His drinking quit and his gambling quit and his lifestyle changed. God made him new. But maybe an unbeliever sitting here this morning wrestling with whether or not to let God save you because there's some bowl of pottage that smells good to you and you know that God is more interested in eternal things than temporal. Or maybe some believer today and you know God has saved you but you've still not put off the old like you should. You're living like Lot. So ask yourself today, do I have a bowl of pottage? Something that offers me instant gratification, but to have that I must trade in eternal blessing. Whether it is eternal life or the rewards that come from living a faithful life, I believe you can be in heaven without any rewards, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So this morning, do I have a bowl of pottage in front of me? Young person, we say this. Sometimes a bowl of pottage is just to reveal where your heart's really at. Are you really interested in the things of God? Or is it all just a game? You know what? Esau had no interest in the things of God. You know how we know? Because when he could trade the things of God for a bowl of pottage, he took the bowl of pottage without even thinking. This morning, as we are tested, temporal or eternal, it reveals where our heart is. And you know what Hebrews says? Lest any fornicator like Esau, profane man like him, take diligent heed that that not be the case among you. 